Forgive me if I sound a little bit clogged up this week, but uh, my son and I both have the longest running cold in history at the moment. Each morning when we wake, we sound like a pair of chain-smoking, alcoholic, phlegm-hacking 75-year-olds. I don't know what what the story is, but uh, it seems to have been going on forever, this cold. But anyway, let's have a chat about um, today's topic. G'day, it's Peter, and welcome to Office Anywhere, a podcast about working and living on your terms, whether that's cutting code on the deck of a Balinese villa, crafting ad copy from a cafe in Portland, Oregon, or building websites from a home office in Melbourne, Australia. If you've had enough of the daily commute and the limitations that working in an office imposes, or you're already working remotely, but you want to explore some of the doors that it opens for you, then this is the podcast for you. To learn more about Office Anywhere, just go to officeanywhere.co. Today we're chatting about um, remote workers and how they're actually good for business and the statistics behind it that actually prove it. See, when I was a kid, I was an ambitious little bastard. At eight, I started my own business. Well, two actually. One was designing, making and then selling letter openers carved out of six-inch nails. And the other one involved collecting and reselling golf balls from outside the boundary fence at the local golf course, which was just three houses from where I, where we lived. What I'd do is I'd sell the best ones for big profits to golfers out on the course, um, risking abuse and demands to return their ball, or I'd sell them in bulk to the pro shop at the top of the hill. My need to excel and make lots of money if I could carried through the rest of my childhood and most of my adulthood. Getting an A was fine, but what I really wanted was A-pluses across the board. If I wasn't the best, I wanted to be the fastest, the youngest, or the least qualified to achieve whatever was in my sights. That said, I wasn't afraid to walk away from something if it didn't match my long game, and leaving halfway through year 11, and halfway through class as it turned out, was one of the most torched bridges in my backstory. And so... I'm surprised it took me so long to realise what my long game actually is. Not my academic career or business long game, but my life long game, my real long game. It wasn't until I came through a midlife crisis that I realised what it was. The long game for me is working and living on my terms in every part of my life where I have agency over the inputs. And if I don't have agency, well then re-engineering things so that I do. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But what does the long game have to do with the subject of today's discussion? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer is, well, everything. You know what it's like when you go on a long holiday, the kind where you unwind enough to start behaving like a human again. By the second or third week, you start questioning things that you value, uh, beliefs that you hold and habits that you employ on a daily basis. I do this all the time. Come to think of it, I've actually done it for decades. On holidays like that, especially if it's somewhere idyllic where the pace is slower, the climate's warmer, and the pleasures are simpler, I'm always asking myself, why aren't I getting more of this? In other words, what am I doing that's preventing me from living the life of my dreams? Okay, that sounds like a mantra from an MLM company, but it doesn't mean the question is invalid. In fact, you might argue that it's the question. Because unless you've found a way to live for 300 years without looking like Tommy Lee Jones for the last 200, then you need to realise something. You're only here for a short time, so you better make this life of yours count. You can follow the scripts of others, you know, big corporations, advertisers, FOMO, the Joneses, your parents, other school mums, whatever. 
or you can ignore the chatter and write your own. We might be born into the matrix, but staying there is a choice. Here's my point. An employment arrangement is a mutual exchange of value. As a worker, I produce an output that my employer leverages to create revenue. In exchange for that output, they pay me some money. Notwithstanding moral, legal, or operational imperatives, it should make no difference how or from where I produce that output. If my long-term objective is to lead a fulfilling and purpose-driven life, and the business's goal is to be profitable and growing, then it's in both our interests to help each other meet those ends. It's a mutual exchange, not a servant-master arrangement. If I want to draw a good income from my employer, then I owe it to them to be productive, accountable, and responsible. Likewise, if my employer wants a valuable contributor to their business, they owe it to me to facilitate an environment where I'm most able to deliver that. The statistics are in and the proof is irrefutable. Enabling remote workers is a game changer for business. We already know it's a life changer for workers, that it makes them happier, less stressed, more productive and more loyal, all of which is great for business. What isn't so obvious though is how it rocks your boss's world too. The impact on their business is positive and measurable. In fact, remote work ticks so many boxes, the only two reasons why its ascent amongst suitable roles isn't happening faster are... One, a lack of awareness of the benefits, and two, reluctance to accept change despite the evidence supporting it. I've gathered some information in a blog post that goes along with this episode. Um, If you go to officeanywhere.co slash 90, then you'll find all the details there, but we're going to sort of walk through them here anyway. Um, The information in that post is drawn from thousands of data points and thousands of hours of research. So go through it and treat it like a buffet and reference what's relevant to you. As you build your case for yourself and later for your employer for workplace change, augment it with materials that can't be refuted, like the research that I've outlined in this particular post. If you're planning to pitch your boss on letting you work from home or from a campsite in Saskatchewan, wherever you want to work from, what you need is hard data and a compelling story. The stats that I've compiled, thanks mostly to the amazing work of Global Workplace Analytics. It's not my research, it's their research, and it's brilliant. These stats will help you dispel assumptions and get things moving. Most people will spend more time planning a holiday than their finances or their work-life situation. Changing how you work may be the biggest thing you can do for yourself, your family, and your employer. Take the time to understand why it's good for everyone, then start planning your escape. As Kay Sargent, the Senior Principal and Director of Hock's Workplace Practice, says, today's workplace is no longer one place. It's many places, both within and outside the office. Here's a bit of an extract from um, a report called Coworking, a Corporate Real Estate Perspective, from Hock and Coronet Global. Larger, medium-sized businesses are increasingly embracing workplace flexibility and remote work as strategic advantages that help them do a number of things, including attract and retain talent. 73% of organisation leaders are concerned about the availability of skilled labour. It helps them to increase employer engagement, reduce absenteeism and presenteeism, improve innovation, reduce work-life conflict, and reduce employee stress. Stress is the number one employee health risk in every region except the Asia-Pacific, where it is the second to lack of physical activity. 
Stress has been called the health epidemic of the 21st century by the World Health Organization and is estimated to cost US-based businesses up to $300 billion a year. And it has a direct impact on absenteeism, presenteeism, medical costs, turnover, safety and engagement. And research shows that flexible work policies, specifically the ability to work remotely, significantly reduce employee stress. Okay, some other facts here. Remote working improves employee satisfaction. 79% of people want to work from home, and 36% would choose it over a pay rise. A poll was conducted of about 1,500 technology professionals, and it showed that 37% of them would take a pay cut of 10% if they could work from home. And Gen Y employees are more difficult to recruit, as reported by more than half of hiring managers, and to retain as well as reported by more than 60% of hiring managers. But they are particularly attracted to flexible work arrangements. They rank at 8 on a 10-point scale for impact on overall job satisfaction. Um, Also, remote working reduces attrition. The cost of replacing an employee extends far beyond the whole recruiting process. It includes separation costs, temporary replacement costs, uh, lost productivity training costs, Um, frequently lost customers, co-workers, and corporate intelligence. Studies put the cost as high as 75% of non-exempt persons' earnings and 150 to 200% of an exempt person's salary. 61% of employees who don't currently work from home say that they are willing to give up some pay in exchange for being allowed to do it. And 68% of participants in the Sharing Plough Corporate's telework program, which dates back to 1999, say that being able to telework is a factor in their decision to stay with the company. 72% of remote workers um, say that working remotely has a high impact on employee retention, and two-thirds of employees would take another job just to ease the commute. Another thing is that there are fewer unscheduled absences. Um, Something like almost 80% of employees who call in sick actually aren't sick. They do it because of family issues, personal needs, stress, that kind of thing. And remote work programs reduce unscheduled absences by as much as 63%. And the other thing is too is people who work remotely, when they're crook, they can tend to continue to work because they're not infecting other people, they're in a more comfortable environment, um, they're already where they prefer to be, so often they will actually continue to work. It also turns out that remote workers are more productive. Companies like Best Buy, British Telecom, Dow Chemical, and a whole bunch of others show that teleworkers teleworkers, or remote workers are 35 to 40% more productive. Over two-thirds of employers say that they have seen increased productivity amongst their remote workers. And as an example, Sun Microsystems shows that their employees spend 60% of the commuting time they save performing work for the company. AT&T workers work five more hours at home than their office workers, and J.D. Edwards remote workers are 20 to 25% more productive than their office counterparts. American Express workers produce something like 43% more than their office-based counterparts, and Compaq increased productivity 15 to 45% uh, by using remote workers. It also saves a ton of money. Global Workplace Analytics Telework Savings Calculator shows that if the Americans who hold work-at-home compatible jobs did so just half of the time, then US companies would collectively increase their bottom lines between $525 and $665 billion a year, 
as a result of the savings in real estate, absenteeism, turnover, and increased productivity. That's between 10,500 and 13,000 per employee per year. Full-time remote work can save companies between $20,000 and $37,000 per employee per year. I mean, that's a ton of money. That's nothing to sneeze at. And nearly six out of 10 employers identify cost savings as a significant benefit to remote work. Another company, Alpine Access, closed 30% more sales than traditional agents this year um, with their remote workers. And customer complaints decreased by 90% and turnover decreased by 88%. I mean, those are huge numbers. Um, IBM slashed real estate costs by $50 million and McKesson's telecommuting program saved $2 million a year. Another thing too, which is um, goes against a common furphy, is remote workers actually enable better quality meetings and collaboration. Asynchronous communications allow people to communicate more effectively, and web-based meetings are better planned and they're more likely to stay on message. Once remote work technologies are in place in an organization, then employees and contractors can work together without regard to logistics. This substantially increases collaboration options. And I know this from experience. Um, There are some organizations that I work with who insist on doing things face-to-face, and it's woefully inefficient where you've got people from disparate locations traveling by car or public transport to meet in a central location, often wasting two hours out of their day to go there and back, to have what often amounts to a 30-minute meeting, which could be just so easily handled by email or remote video if necessary. Uh, Another thing that remote work does is it expands the talent pool for employers. Over 40% of employers are feeling the labour pinch, and that's going to worsen as baby boomers retire. The thing with remote work is geography doesn't limit access to your available talent, your available um, workers. Employees with geographic, socioeconomic and cultural diversity can positively impact company culture as well. And over 70% of employees report that the ability to telecommute or to work remotely will be somewhat to extremely important in choosing their next job. Also, this might not seem like a major thing, but depending on circumstances, it could could quickly become a major thing, and that is remote workers keep working during a disaster. Uh, Federal workers are actually required to work remotely to the maximum extent possible for this reason alone. Uh, Things like bird flu, terrorism, roadway problems, weather-related disasters are all issues that can be mitigated with remote work, and three-quarters of remote workers say they could continue to work in the event of a disaster compared with just 28% of office-bound workers. Another thing too is it improves performance measurement systems. Uh, Drucker, Six Sigma and management experts agree that goal setting and performance measurement is key to successful management. For remote work to be successful, employees must be measured by what they do, not where or how they do it. Security is another one. Almost 93% of managers involved in IRS pilot telework programs believe there is no problem with data security. 90% of those charged with security in large organizations feel that home-based workers are not a security concern. In fact, they're more concerned with the occasional work that is taken out of the office by traditional employees who lack the training, the tools, and the technology that remote workers receive. Okay, so what have been the trends over recent years? Well, from 2015 to 16, 
the remote worker population grew by 11.7%, the largest year-over-year growth since 2008. 40% more US employees offer remote workplace options than they did five years ago. Uh, 50% of the US workforce holds a job that is compatible with at least partial remote work, and about 20 to 25% of the workforce um, works remotely with some frequency. 80 to 90% of the US workforce says they'd like to work remotely, at least part-time. And Fortune 1000 companies around the globe are entirely revamping their space around the fact that employees are already mobile. Studies repeatedly show that they are not at their desk 50 to 60% of the time anyway. To give you an idea of some of the uh, occupations where remote work is extremely common, um, some of those include in the military, uh, computer and mathematical industries, arts, design, entertainment, sports and media occupations, uh, farming, fishing and forestry, that's a fairly obvious one, uh, life, physical and social science, legal occupations, community and social service, uh, architecture and engineering and business and financial. Those industries have a very high, a disproportionately high level of remote work activity. So if remote work is something that you want to pursue, I mean, there's some other fantastic resources on the Office Anywhere website that can help you to do that. And there's a free downloadable there, uh, which you can find on the homepage and most of the other pages too, which will help step you through that, at least give you a decent overview of the process involved. But these statistics are enormously powerful for supporting the case for transitioning from a traditional work environment to one which allows a lot more remote work um, and a lot more flexibility. I know this has been a fairly data-intensive discussion today on the podcast. Um, if you go to the blog post at officeanywhere.co slash 90, then that's probably a lot easier to, to consume it that way. And um, if you want to get a broader overview of the process of moving from traditional employment to one which gives you more flexibility, which allows you to work and live more on your terms, then make sure you download the um, Work Anywhere trial guide. Just go to the homepage at officeanywhere.co or the bottom of the blog post that goes along with this at officeanywhere.co slash 90. You'll see it down there. It's six steps to working and living on your terms. It'll give you a very good overview of the process of moving from a traditional work environment to um, a remote work situation, probably still with the same employer. Um, Anyway, that's it for me. I've crept on enough. This cold is um, not letting up. And I'm going to lose my voice soon if I keep talking. So thanks for tuning in again on the Office Anywhere podcast. And until we chat again next week, here's to living and working on your terms. I'll catch you then. See ya.